Welcome back to The Line to Mastery. In this episode, I am joined by Kat Fleming. Kat Fleming is a dear friend. She is a tantrika, an instructor of tantra, and a somatic and transpersonal integration coach here in Austin, Texas. Kat and I first met a few years ago, just about two years ago now, at a community sangha that she was hosting at her house. She and I have been friends ever since, and in this episode, we discuss tantric philosophy, sexuality, and sensuality, her life since the pandemic, committing to your bliss, presence, being versus doing, and making love to life. This episode was such a fucking pleasure to record. I absolutely love you from the depths of my heart and my soul, Kat. Thank you so much for coming on. And to those listening, you are in for a treat. Enjoy this episode with Kat Fleming. This episode is brought to you by my signature program, Athletic Performance Accelerator. Athletic Performance Accelerator, or APA, Yip Yip, is my elite 90-day mindset transformation program. It is for those athletes that are ready to embody a fearless mindset be able to control their nervous system under high-stress performances and situations, and to dial in and reprogram their subconscious mind to become the version of themselves that they dream of being. Everything in this program I embody, I've been using for a few months to a few years now, and I've used it all to transform my life into being a highline professional, into running my own coaching business, and also being the host of this podcast. So it's the cultivation and the alchemization of my life's work, and I will be offering it in the world for years to come. Go ahead and shoot me a DM on Instagram if this calls out to you. I have pivoted from having it be a group program to a one-on-one program, and this is my signature program and how I'll be serving clients for the next few years. So go ahead, shoot me a DM, and I look forward to dropping in with you. In the meantime, enjoy this podcast with Kat Fleming. Okay. Excited. I know. I'm super excited that you're here. Me too. Like it, um, yeah, it really feels like it's been a year since we've actually been able to drop in. Yeah, it has probably been a year. And I feel like, you know, just given the the nature of my own life as well as what was happening internationally, um, a lot, a lot shifted for me. So it feels cool to get to drop in and reflect on all of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So maybe you could give a, um, just like a brief background of who you are and then maybe like where you were at pre-pandemic and then what shifted since then. Cool. All right. Yeah. So hello everyone. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Cam. Oh yeah. This is Kat Fleming. Welcome yeah. to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm Kat Fleming. Um, me and Cam know each other through Tantra and that's probably what most people know me as is a Tantrika. I host, um, big Sangha community gatherings in Austin. I host retreats. I take private clients. And really, I've been a spiritual enthusiast, you could say, um, my whole life since I was um, about 10. And Tantra has kind of been a conglomeration of all the different things I've studied. I find that Tantra is an umbrella that can include all of the different spiritual, personal development, um, like, fully enjoying life things that I've learned. 
Um, oh, and you had asked me about a little bit of life before the pandemic and now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's a whole story. Um, so let's see before the pandemic, I mean, things were going really well and it's, it's fascinating how things can be going fantastically. And then all of a sudden these things change and then it gets even better, you know, in ways that I didn't even know it could get better. So, I mean, I feel like it's a long winded story. Can I just go for it? Please. Okay, cool. We got the time. All right, great. So, <laughs> So let's see, pre-pandemic, I was working as a gardener and landscaper and teaching Tantra, and I was doing both pretty much full-time, so my schedule was super packed. And I was also dealing with um, some really big like family changes and challenges, and along with the, the very physically intense uh, gardening I was doing, the emotionally intense family stuff, and then the spiritually intense Tantra work that I was doing, it was very, it was a very intense time in my life. Um, and it didn't always feel that way because it also felt very balanced. The gardening job was very grounding. Um, but nonetheless, there was a lot of quick movement. Every single day was very full. And I knew that I was ready for some type of transformation, but I already felt like I was on a good path, so I wasn't really sure what other transformation I would need or what would appear for me. And, you know, it always shows up in unexpecting ways. (laughs) And that is exactly what happened for me. Um, A girl moved to Austin, and she's a pretty well-established Tantrika, and she wanted to connect with me. You know, she wanted to meet other, other Tantrikas in Austin and connect with the community. So she invited me over for a free session. And in the session, she asked me, are you ready to let go of everything? And I was like, yeah, you know, why not? (laughs) I guess that's what I need to do. I guess that's, you know, a lot of what all of these spiritual philosophies have been telling me to do is to live with non-attachment. And she was like, yeah, but like, are you ready to like reinvent yourself and like really let go of, of who you think you are today? And it felt like the only answer was yes. Um, (laughs) And, you know, if I said no, what would she say? So I was like, yeah, you know, I'm open to whatever flows through. So very auspiciously, the next day, (laughs) 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 the next day I go to work and I'll preface this by saying I love my gardening job. I went to school for ethnobotany. I've studied botany for years. My dad was a gardener. Um, plants are my best friends. So I could have seen myself staying at this job forever. I didn't want to let it go. Suddenly I get a terrible injury at work and nothing specific happened. Just like my knee and my back were not having it. And I knew in that moment, I was like, I I can't keep doing this job. My body is my home. My body is so important to me. I have to let this go. And I hear her name is Dana. She's an amazing Tantrika. I hear her voice in my head being like, are you ready to let go of everything? So I realized I have to let go of this job. So I let go of the job and my injuries only get worse. Um, I have a knee injury and a back injury. So I'm like kind of bedridden for a while and then COVID hits. So all of society had shut down. Um, 
And this was it. This was my big transformation that I wasn't expecting. Um, as I said, it always comes in unexpected ways. And I very quickly realized that it was challenging for me to actually be in stillness. I was used to always moving. I was used to a lot of emotional intensity, physical intensity, spiritual intensity. And this was my first time really since being a kid that I was actually stopping and not doing anything because I was prioritizing my healing. So this is when the big shift happened for me, the shift from doing into being, which I've got a lot to say about that, but I just want to pause right there because this feels like something important for myself. I always like to pause when I say it and maybe for whoever's listening, I made this shift from doing into, into just being. So the last year has been a huge exploration of that and it's been challenging. It's been rewarding and it's been all these different unexpected things. And I feel like it really was the final piece, um, that helped integrate all the spiritual studies that I had been doing. So now I feel even better than I felt before. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, do do you have anything you want to say or any questions you want to ask about that? (laughs) Um, no questions specifically right now, but I'm just noticing the parallels within like my own experience with COVID and how that transpired for me and kind of seeing where you were at, where I was at and how this year also, um, there's aspects that feel like I'm shifting from doing into being. And then it also feels like there's aspects of me that are like really doubling down on the doing because Mm. the doing is almost like elevated in ways that it hasn't been before. Yeah, totally. And, and I mean, I love this, this really simple framework of doing and being, it's kind of a fun way to check in with people. Like, how do you spend your time? Are you doing a lot of doing, or are you spending a lot of time just being? And it's a bit of both. Yeah. It's yeah. And, and I think a bit of both is a good balance, you know, um, For me, my whole life, I've actually always been an overachiever. Um, I remember, you know, straight A's my whole life. I remember entering my 20s and thinking, I am going to just hustle all of my 20s and I'm going to retire in my 30s. Like (laughs) That was my plan. So I have been doing, doing, doing for so long um, that it, it, it came the time where I needed to just start being. And my body actually, I mean, there had been a lot of signs that I needed to slow down and find more balance, but it was hard for me to listen to those signs because I was so passionate. I was so inspired and I didn't know this at the time, but it was actually one of my coping mechanisms to be busy, to just keep doing, because as I mentioned, there were these family challenges, there were personal challenges a lot of challenges in my twenties. Um, and it was easier to be busy than to slow down and actually feel everything. So after years and years, after almost a full decade of doing, 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 I finally got tendonitis at my gardening job. And some people might say, um, you know, that I got tendonitis cause I was pushing wheelbarrows and clipping with my hands. Well, yes, I think that is part of it. I also think that in a way the universe was conspiring to give me tendonitis to be like, you need to stop moving, like slow down. Um, 
And yeah, it's, it's been really interesting. I'd love to at some point in this podcast, maybe in a moment here, just talk <laughs> more about my experience with being and what, what that has been like for me. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, it's something fun with podcast is I, I try to be aware of how much I talk and on podcast, it's my space to just talk and talk and talk. So, <laughs> so I'll just keep going. It is, it is. Yeah. And I, um, I love how you took the time to pause for a second and, and check in. So yeah. instead of a podcast, we have a podcast. A podcast, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. That's perfect. And you know, Which is the, in perfect resonance with like the doing and the being. Yeah, so yeah, totally. The podcast is the doing, whereas the pause cast is the being. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, Cam. Yeah. Well, it feels good just right now, just on that topic of being for me to stop and take some deep breaths. <sighs> and if anyone's listening, they can take some deep breaths with us too. So let's see my journey with being. Well, you know, I had meditated. (laughs) I started meditating at a young age and this is because I had migraines when I was a child. How old were you? I was eight, I think seven or eight when I started getting migraines and they were very um, strong migraines. I remember just feeling like it was unbearable pain So we went to all sorts of different doctors and multiple doctors told me that I should get into yoga and meditation. So I was 10 when I went to my first class. And I think with, uh, you know, I'm probably not alone in this. It can take a few years to really get into meditation or get into yoga because it's like you dabble, you kind of get a taste. And for me, I got to start dabbling when I was 10. And then by the time I was 13, I was really recognizing how powerful the practices were. So I had my first meditation teacher and I'm almost 29 now. So when I, when this, when this being thing started, I was 28, I had been meditating for 15 years and I was like, Oh, I know how to just be like, I, I teach meditation. I teach Tantra. This is my whole life but I had never slowed down this much. So there were some easy parts and there Mm -hmm. were some challenges. (laughs) It was actually quite hard for me to move slowly. Um, And really, I mean, I want to start with, you know, one of the best parts was that this is what I needed. Slowing down and just being was what I needed to do to actually integrate and understand everything that I had been studying and even teaching. And it's amazing to me that I had been teaching meditation and healing arts for a while, but I, you know, I, there was still so much for me to learn. Um, and I always knew that I've always been, you know, a student I've never considered, I I hesitate to even call myself a teacher because I have the student mindset all the time, but Yeah, it's almost like, wow, I've learned so much in this past year. I can't believe I've been teaching for so long. Um, But yeah, everything's really integrated this year. But what that took was 10 months of a lot of challenges. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So so I slow down into being 
And in that slowness, I had to learn how to feel all my feelings. I had a lot of stuff come up. Um, as I had mentioned, being busy was the way that I distracted myself, was the way that I coped and the way that I kind of avoided some of my more intense emotions. And once I slowed down and there were no distractions, not even like the healthy distractions, I couldn't go to yoga all the time. I couldn't go to dance all the time. Um, a lot of stuff started to come up. A lot of stuff that I'd suppressed like my whole life really. Um, so that was hard. That was one of the hardest parts of being, um, was just actually having to feel everything. So in Tantra, the tantrics are called Veras and that's a Sanskrit word that means heroes. And the tantrics are called heroes because they have the courage to feel everything. And I had done a lot of feeling before. I mean, there were certain emotions that I couldn't really avoid, but I was still suppressing in some way. So this year I really learned how to feel everything. And this is only one example of how everything started to integrate for me. I had been studying Tantra and spirituality for a long time and personal development. But once I slowed down, this was part one of the Tantra feeling everything. <laughs> um, but the other great thing about slowing down, and this was a big thing that I learned this year, is that urgency is the antithesis of pleasure. So I had been moving quickly for a long time and there was a sense of urgency because I was so passionate and just wanted wanted to make my dreams come true. I mean, as I had mentioned, I was right like- Right here, right now, yeah. let's fucking go. Yes, right here, right now, let's fucking go. As I mentioned, my 20s were this time where I was going to hustle. And then in my 30s, I wanted to basically retire or at least have... Can we pause real quick? Yeah, I get the dogs. Yep. Yeah. Thirty you're going to retire. Hold Yeah. see how this goes okay great are we still are we still recording mm -hmm. okay great so so as i had mentioned um my 20s was going to be the time that i hustled and was basically going to retire in my 30s so there was a sense of urgency there of like i've you know i've got to complete these things and i've got to kick ass and i've got to make my dreams come true because it felt like there were no other options for me um and by that i mean I was so committed to spirituality that I knew I needed to make a career out of it. Like I couldn't settle for anything else. So I had been hustling, hustling and hustling and still felt, you know, a good amount of pleasure in my life. But when I started to slow down, I really got to tap into sensuality. And I'm excited to bring this up because really this topic of being versus doing, I mean, it's an interesting thing for anyone to think about, 
But for me, it's where all of these pieces of tantric philosophy and tantric integration started to come up. So most people, when they hear tantra, they know it's a sensual, they might think it's a sexual path, which it can be, but it's really a holistic path. I would say that tantra is more sensual than it is sexual. And part of that is because... Do you think you could describe the difference between the two? Yeah, and I can describe the difference between the two for sure. Um, But the first thing I want to say, I'll describe the difference between those in a second. A lot, pretty much all spiritual lineages that I've studied talk about presence. Presence is the main point. Um, And for some people, for instance, in yoga, there's something called pratyahara, which means withdrawal of the senses. This is for ascetic monks that want to go meditate in caves and get into such a deep, still space that they are just immersed in presence. Now, Tantra is kind of the opposite. Tantra is the opposite of Pratyahara. Tantra is all about immersing into the senses. Tantra is made for the layman, for the blue-collar worker that is, you know, immersed in this playground of life that doesn't have the luxury of going to meditate in a cave. Now, the thing with the senses is that they are always happening in the present moment. And like I said, kind of the point of a lot of spirituality is to be more present. So Tantra says these senses, the five senses and the body are always right here, right now. So rather than cutting off from sensual pleasures, as many lineages of Buddhism and and, um, yoga tell us to do, Tantra says, go deeper into sensation. And when you go deeper into sensation, not only do you have more presence, but you discover the divine radiance that is everywhere. So I'll just pause there for a moment. And um, yeah, it just feels so good to reflect on that. That I was forced to slow down because of some injuries. And that forced me to feel my feelings, which was challenging, but also completely necessary for me to actually heal my things. Uh, I had some like deep wounds in there, you know, and it feels good to heal those. And then also in slowing down, I got to tap into my sensuality more. And for me, I've realized that that's everything. When I'm here, just taking in the radiance of the room right now, like I feel like when I'm moving slowly, I can see the textures of the rug, the colors on the pillow, the frame on the artwork, the way that the dog's hair is on his body. I can feel my own hair brushing against my chest. I can see these flowers. I can smell the house. It's like, it feels so vibrant in here all of a sudden. And when I'm moving quickly, I don't experience that vibrancy. At least not as much, you know, I see it. I'm a sensual person, but when I slow down, I really see it. And when I tune into that vibrancy, I get this feeling that life is so full and so luscious and like life is just breathing and everything's pulsing around me. And I I tap into that cosmic pulse and it's always here. I was just often moving too quickly to be with it. It's that orgasmic pulse. And that's what Tantra is about is this, this cosmic orgasm, this orgasmic way of being that's always available, but usually requires a little bit of slowing down to notice it. 
So you asked me about the difference between sensuality and sexuality. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Hmm. I actually <laughs> I wrote a blog post about this recently. I have a lot to say on it. So let's see. The first thing that feels alive is that people hear Tantra and they think it's about making love with another person or maybe with multiple people or whatever they've read on Google or whatever it is. But really Tantra is about making love to life. So the tantric definition of sexuality might be a little bit different than, um, than the common Western view. So I would say in the West, sexuality is an intercourse, uh, usually a heteronormative intercourse with a lingam and a yoni, which are the tantric words for your special genitals. Um, but Tantra says we can intercourse with anything. You can intercourse with your breath. What is an intercourse? It's this like merging dance in this union. So an intercourse with life would be letting the breath penetrate you, letting the senses penetrate you. On the other hand, we have sensuality, which in the West, a lot of people think sensuality and sexuality are always together. Um, but really sensuality is just noticing the five senses, which you don't need any sexual energy to do that. You can be sensual while you're eating. You can be sensual while you're walking, like feeling your feet on the earth. Um, you can be sensual in the way that you get dressed, like really feeling each article as you put it on. So sensual, yeah, it doesn't have to be sexual, but it can be. And I know I like my sexual experiences to be sensual and... <laughs> For me, tuning into my senses does help me to access that intercourse with life, that making love to life. Um, and it feels so good to distinguish between the two because our culture has shame around sexuality. And because sensuality and sexuality are so intertwined in our culture, people even have shame about sensuality. I mean, when I was growing up, my friends teased me for being a moaner and <laughs> I'd be like walking through the grocery store and there were just so many colors and I'd squeeze an avocado and I guess I would moan because I just was like, wow, this fruit is so ripe and delicious. I want this. And my friends would tease me, you know? And so I was like that chick that moans and it was like a thing for people to comment on. And it kind of made me self-conscious and come to think of it, a lot of other people were not interfacing with life in this way. They weren't being sensual. Um, I can think of times where I've been sensual around like someone's parents and like that felt awkward for some reason, but I'm like, what? Like, I'm just enjoying myself. Like these senses are amazing and I'm in this body and like, I, I just want to enjoy it. Why aren't you enjoying it? Like, what's the point of life? Isn't it just to enjoy? So why are we so embarrassed about this? So for me, the, the blog that, that, that I wrote, I mean, I'm all about sexual empowerment, but also sensual empowerment. This is a thing that a lot of people are not empowered towards. And I think making that distinction between sensual and sexual can help people get into their sensual more because they're like, I'm not being sexual. Sexual is bad, but sensual is fine, which sexual is not bad, but in some people's head it is. You yeah, know? for sure. Yeah. 
Does that make sense? It does. Okay, cool. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I'm kind of just making these parallels in my mind, especially around sensuality and the shame that people have when it comes to like vocalizing themselves and how a lot of us have been told to just like be quiet or suppress ourselves in very, um, like a multitude of different forms. Yeah. And then it bleeds into this kind of relationship that we have with our senses yeah. and even you having to slow down and focus on the being and focus on the feelings that you were feeling. Like the answer to the pain is always in the pain. But if we're never told to like, just be with our pain be with our feelings, then we're just going to continue to pack it down. Yeah. It's so true. So it's same so thing true. with sensuality. Right. Well, and I love that you brought up pain and sensuality and how these things can be suppressed. And this year I actually realized that, emotions and sensuality are not that different. And that's because they're both about feeling emotions are about feeling and sensuality is about feeling. And I've realized that all of my emotions are actually a pretty sensual experience. Like if I'm, if I'm angry, I'm like hot and I'm tight and I'm clenched and like my senses are going off or if I feel good, if I feel happy, my body's all flowy and loose and there's just so much to feel there. Um, so really this year has been about learning how to feel more. And I've realized that learning how to feel more of my pain heals it. Like you said, the answer to the pain is in the pain. And then that's brought so much more joy and radiance as well. One, because I'm not carrying that baggage but two, just that contrast of, oh, this is what pain feels like. Now I really know what joy feels like. Yeah. I also just want to throw in there that nudity and sexuality are different things. Um, yeah, that's that's something that I've really had to like spend some time with for yeah. sure. Because it's what we've been programmed, you know? Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think one of the main... Maybe uh, there's a lot of reasons why people are uncomfortable being nude. You know, there's the whole body image issue thing, but so many people are so quick to feel like it's a sexual thing. And it's been so liberating for me to completely separate those things. I mean, I feel like I could give my, I, I could cuddle with someone naked and it not feel sexual to me. You know, it's like, they're just two totally different things. Um, and I feel like that's also expanded my ability to play with life and to play with myself and with other people is to know that sensuality, nudity, and sexuality are all different things. And we can have elements that are really fun, but it doesn't mean that we're going somewhere specific. Whereas when I was younger, if I was naked and feeling sensual, that was almost always like, oh, this is about to be sexual. But now I know like these are all different things. It doesn't have to imply anything. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I can already just feel the depth of the work you've probably had to do to be able to separate those things and see that they can lead to being the same thing in a way. You know, it's almost like, um, like what's a, the name for a Venn diagram that has three circles in it? I'm Is it still to, like, a Venn diagram? I don't know. <laughs> like a, a tri-Venn diagram or something. A uh, Venn triagram? Uh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> So a Venn triagram <laughs> of sexuality, sensuality, and nudity. And um, I think for a lot of people, those are just the same overlapping circle. Yeah. Whereas for you, you've been able to separate those. And I know that's taken a lot of work because that goes against what society has programmed us with. Yeah, totally. 
Well, and I appreciate you acknowledging that it has taken a lot of work. Um, being a Tantrika is a radical path for a lot of different reasons. And when I first got into this, I felt like I needed to explain it and justify it to people. I was worried that my family would be confused, that my friends would be confused, that everyone would just think I was this like hypersexual being and they wouldn't understand what that means. And so I spent a lot of time kind of sussing it out in my own head of how do I explain this to people because I want to be understood. One, I, you know, I don't, it, it doesn't feel good to have a negative image of myself. That's something that I don't want, but also just like for the sake of connection, I want people to understand what I care about. And since these things are not often talked about, um, I have spent a great deal of time just pondering it and then doing the work to integrate it because it's required me to be pretty bold to be like, yeah, I'm a nudist. Like I'm a nudist and that's not normal in our world. And I have the courage to be that chick. <laughs> it's, I have a friend and she's always like, it's gotta be hard to be you. Like you are so bold. Like you are always breaking the social boundaries. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's hard at times and I'm glad to be that person. <laughs> Which, I mean... Someone has to pave the path, right? Someone's got to pave the path. And I used to feel like I was the radical one, but now I kind of feel like everyone else is radical. I'm like, it's radical to me that people think they have to wear clothes. It's radical to me that people are not enjoying their senses. Like, what are they thinking? Like, what, like... Well, I guess I mean radical in the sense of, like, what? Like, what is going on here, you know? Um... I feel like we have like such a backward society and I've really embraced the fact that I don't feel like I'm backwards at all. Like some people might think that in contrast to the standard quote unquote, but I just don't, I don't feel backwards or radical anymore. Um, yeah, I like really believe in what I'm doing and that's helped to really become empowered in it. It's like I believed in these things and understood them for a long time but this year, I feel like I've become empowered enough in it to be like, this is my path. I no longer care if people get it or not because I fucking love it. And I love it so much that like, it just doesn't matter anymore. Um, totally. And what matters is that you get it. You get your path. You get your life. Right. You know? Right. That's the most important thing. You don't need people outside yourself to understand your story. You right. need to understand your story. And that's not just the message for you. That's a message for everyone listening to this podcast. That's a message for fucking <laughs> everyone on the planet. Right. Totally. Um, and it's like you were talking about earlier before we dropped into the podcast, how you committing to your bliss and what lights you up as a career is what is going to create more of that as opposed to having um, like part-time jobs or a job that like pays the bills, but it doesn't fill you up. Like being able to pursue that bliss is what's going to set you free and make you even more excited about your life that you get to experience. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's still an interesting question for me. And something that was actually terrifying to explore was, do I actually have the courage to follow my bliss? Because we hear people say that like, Oh, follow your bliss, like do what you love. And I don't know, for some people that might be easy for me. It meant like 
I'm leaving a normal career. I'm taking an untraditional path. I'm really going into the unknown. For me, I even outgrew a lot of my friends. Um, or I don't like to say outgrew, but we grew apart. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it to follow my bliss meant that I actually had to leave so much behind. Um, I had to really leave my comfort zone and I was like, there's a lot of time of like kind of gripping the seat being like, is this okay? Is this okay? Am I going to make it? Uh, and it just feels good to, to exhale now and be like, ah, oh, it worked. Like it worked out and people tell me it inspires them. And you know, that feels good to, uh, to live in my bliss and it have a, a, an effective service. You know, it's, service to a lot of people in a lot of different ways, offering the healing arts and empowering other people to follow their inspiration. So yeah, that's, <laughs> it's a big thing, learning to follow our bliss. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause it the, gives permission to others to do the same as well. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. And when I think of anyone that's like really changed my life, it's usually someone that is very authentic and to follow our bliss requires to be authentic and yeah, just that authenticity and it's hard for me to find the perfect words for it, but yeah, I don't know. I was like coaching someone one day and I was like, who's your biggest role model? And I'm expecting him to be like Joe Rogan or Tim Ferriss or whatever. And he's like, I met this dude on the beach in Costa Rica and he was like the, the most authentic person I've ever met. And I've never forgotten how he made me feel. And that was actually life-changing for me to hear because I've always wanted to be in service and have some type of impact on the world. And when I heard him say that, I started to think, what if my impact exists in my authenticity? Like, what if I've been like trying all these different ways to make a big impact and to change the world? And what if it just exists in me being me? And I kind of couldn't believe that. I was like, there's no way that I'm good enough that just my authentic self could make an impact. But since he told me that, the past few years have been this journey of like, what if I just was really authentic? What would happen? And I actually feel like I am now having the biggest impact that I've ever had. And that's because one, I'm attracting more clients that really understand what I'm off, what I'm offering. Um, I feel like I'm more radiant when I'm authentic. So I become more magnetic and just like these opportunities keep coming to me. Things are expanding and lining up and just like, I don't know, everything's really taken off since I've made the leap to be authentic. Um, So maybe that inspires someone that's listening. I can't guarantee it works for other people, but for me to, to try that and to have it work out has been huge. I do feel though, based off of what I read, um, in mastery by Robert Green, mm-hmm. that like people pursuing their authentic selves and their own paths of self mastery, um, allows them to live the life that they were meant to like live here. Yeah. Well, and I mean, and it's like, well, it almost sounds too good to be true. Like I hear it and I'm like, that sounds great. Like that's gotta be it. And then I think about it and I'm like, wait, are you sure? And then I do it and I'm like, all right, seems to be true. And you know, one of my best teachers, her whole slogan, her name's Monique Darling, is you are the gift. You are the gift. So on this journey of authenticity and being a tantrika, and, and authenticity is huge in tantra. Um, I heard another 
like I was reading some master recently and he said that authenticity is the point of spirituality. So this has been a huge part of my journey. Um, but my own journey with authenticity and seeing how much it's benefited me and the people around me and just every facet of my life. And then Monique saying, you are the gift. These things have really opened me up to encourage others to be authentic and then like really try to see the gifts that everyone is showing up with. I really believe that we all have this medicine inside of us. Some medicine is sweet, some is bitter, but like whatever, we all have this gift, this medicine inside of us and it's in our authenticity. So that's also just been a huge theme of this year is my own authenticity, finding ways to empower others and just taking joy and seeing the gifts that are discovered in there. It's like we're all these these treasure chests and we open them up and it's filled with gems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just going based off of that and looking at my own experience, like the medicine Mm -hmm. that comes out of my own gifts is from the pain that I've experienced Yeah, and like looking through that and finding the gems. Oh yeah. That is in the pain. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I had a client the other day being like, trying to tell me that she was trying to like delete certain memories and like, just like replace them. And I was like, well, I mean, like, I think our pain and like these things that have happened, like that's where the treasure is. Like, this is your Jedi training. This is your personal Jedi training right now. And for me, I wouldn't have gotten where I am today if I hadn't been through a lot of pain. Um, I'm actually reading a book right now called pussy And it's a fantastic book. I really recommend it to anyone. Sounds delicious. Yeah, it is delicious. You know, and whether or not that name is offensive to you, pussy, this book is just filled with a lot of fantastic wisdom. Uh, But the author talks about how we have to go through this rupturing crisis of sorts in order to have the final transformation. And I am all about that because I had studied spirituality for 15 years 12 years in, shit hit the fan, everything was going downhill. I thought my spiritual path was crumbling, but about a year and a half into it, I realized that that was my transformation. It was the fire of purification. Um, And yeah, I was like trying to suppress that part of myself and be inauthentic about it. I, I was trying to suppress the pain and suppress the story and like not make it a big deal. But the authentic thing was, I am in pain right now. Like I'm fucking struggling and I don't know what to do. And it was so scary to say that. But once I fucking said it, like everything flowed through and then the messages flowed through. And the next thing I knew my career took off. So (laughs) just funny how that works. If anyone's listening and you're going through a hard time, you're getting a black belt right now. It's going to be great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a gift and being able to articulate like what's real for you Mm -hmm. with others Mm -hmm. sets you free. It sets them free. Yeah. Even if they don't understand it and you don't understand it, like for whatever fucking reason, it works out that way. It's so true. Well, the first bumper sticker I ever bought was authenticity heels and I actually didn't buy it. I got it from a yoga studio, the Amla foundation in Austin And it's one of those things, it's like a seed that was planted. I got it when I was like 17 and it has continued to take on so much meaning my whole life. It's like, it was this auspicious bumper sticker that became a theme of like my entire being, you know, authenticity heals. It heals us 
It heals other people. It's so liberating to witness a person in their authenticity. And that is like so tantric right there. People are always like, how do I do tantra? Like what practice do I need? Like what chants, what mudras? And I'm like, just be you. Like, this is it right here. Be you, take a deep breath, feel your senses. That's it. You know, like that's the thing. Maybe slow down a little bit, but you don't even have to just be you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like what stuck with me the most out of everything that we did last summer during your Monday Tantra meetups was just the concept that Tantra is making love to life. Yeah. Like that's the thing that I took away the most out of all the practices, all the chanting, all the shaking, all the authentic relating and connection. Like what I took away the most is Tantra is the philosophy of making love to life. Yes. And that's really it. And I love that you got that. I could always feel when you would attend the Sangha, I was like, Cam gets it. Like Cam is understanding what I'm offering right now. And you actually, actually you, like you had a huge impact on me in those classes. Uh, There was a day that you showed up in your authenticity, like really. And I have actually shared this with a few friends before and each, each class we would all introduce ourselves and it got to you and you were like, what's up? I'm King Cam. And like, you just like, you were so in your body and so present and so like owning that archetype that everyone has access to this like King Cam. And I was like, damn, like this person is so tantric in their being. They're just so embodied right now. Um, so authentic. So yeah, I'm glad you got the download and I got the download from you too. (laughs) Well, yeah. Thank you for the opportunity to share the download and you're welcome. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, there was one more thing I wanted to say. Do we have a couple more minutes? Yeah, we do real quick though. I just want to circle back to the embodiment and like, the slack line as, as much as I just like talk about it all the time, like it has been the best tool for embodiment for me. And it's, yeah, it's truly something special that I feel can evolve humanity and allow a lot more people to be embodied within themselves. And for those that are, um, willing to step into that space of fear and start to highline, like it just, it takes the Jedi training to a whole nother level and really allows you to like, dial in your nervous system and your ability to like maneuver through the world and understand yourself. I can completely see that in you and the whole Slackline community. Um, Everyone I've met that's in that whole scene is like incredibly centered, incredibly embodied, incredibly empowered. Um, Yeah. There's like, I can tell there's really something to it. You know, it's not just the adrenaline rush or the thrill of it or the scenery. Like, it's a way of being that translates into one's entire life. It's super incredible. Yeah. And even like I was talking to my roommate last night, um, because I got some books. Uh, one is called the mindful athlete by George Mumford. Uh, the other one is, um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's by Stephen Kotler who like created the flow genome project. Is it stealing fire? No. Okay. Um, it's, it's a different one. It's on like peak state performance. I Mm -hmm. think it's almost like the art of doing the impossible, something like that. Mm -hmm. And essentially like when we're in these peak states, we don't actually want to be in adrenaline because the adrenaline will take us out of it. Mm -hmm. Like we go beyond the adrenaline. So when people are looking at the high line, they're like, damn, you must be an adrenaline junkie. But no, it's not that at all. Like the adrenaline would actually make me not be able to walk on the high line and do it very calmly and successfully. Mm. 
fascinating while I'm learning something new because I'm one of those people that would be like, oh, they're adrenaline junkies, yeah. you know? Wow, going beyond that. And something super exciting is I reached out to Stephen Kotler and he's going to be on the podcast in a few months. What? Yeah. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thanks. I'm a huge fan of his work. You know, he did write Stealing Fire and it's a book on flow state touches on peak performance because when we're in flow we tend to have our peak performance experience but uh yeah flow state's huge for me i discovered flow state through tantra um i would you know have a great tantra session doing my practices or just being in touch with the philosophy and i was like flow state like this is what i've been looking for like i love this feeling and then to find his book on it um he so artfully articulated everything that I had been experiencing. So I'm just so happy that we'll be on this podcast. I know. He's I'm great. Yeah. yeah. I'm stoked. I put a list of like pretty much 200 people I want on the podcast and his name was on it. So I was just like slowly going to be knocking yes. down the people on that list. Amazing. And they're like high level people. That's which is amazing. Exciting. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah. Great. Well, how, how much time do we have left? Yeah. About five minutes. Okay. Perfect. So yeah, just the last thing that felt so alive for me is, you know, I was talking about how Tantra is a radical path and these things don't feel radical to me anymore, but I can imagine there might be someone listening that's like, you want me to have sex with life? Like, you want me to have intercourse with my breath? Like, you want me to moan in the grocery store? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, this is, this is radical to some people. Moan amongst the mangoes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I've really found that being is actually quite radical because we live in a society that is all about doing. We live in coffee culture. We live in capitalism. It's this go, 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 go. And for me, slowing down, it's like, I didn't even know how to slow down. It took me almost a whole year to actually understand how to slow down. And it is a completely different rhythm than a lot of society. Um, it really required letting go of productivity. A lot of us base our value on how much we produce and we base our identity on what our job is. And we're just completely hooked to this hamster wheel thing and getting off the hamster wheel and just choosing to completely carve a life of my own that is on a whole different rhythm than society. That was radical. And I'm discovering just like this new way of producing that arises from the field of being rather than from this linear hamster wheel thing. So yeah, I mean, tons to say about it, but when we live in this doing culture, being is actually pretty freaking radical. And I'm sure that anyone that explores that will start to see what I mean. So yeah, thank you for having me. I feel like I just want to keep talking, but I think that's a, a spicy cliff cliffhanger to leave people on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A good opportunity for a part two. Yeah, totally. Um, and an opportunity for people to, you know, think about it and maybe see what it's like to slow the, the fuck down for a day and just see what one day is like, you know, it's difficult. Like that's really where the work is. Yeah. It yeah. feels like totally. Um, because you're having to go against the programming that you've had yeah. and go against what everybody else is doing around you. It's a whole paradigm shift. Um, there's a Taoist quote that the less we do, the more happens. 
And it's one of those things where I was like, bullshit, that's not true. But I have actually really found that for myself. Same. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. Which seems so counterintuitive. Because you're like, oh, if I just do a lot more, of course I'm going to produce more. (laughs) Right. Totally. That's how cause and effect works, right? Right. Well, and for me as an overachiever, like chronic overachiever, it was like, do, 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 must produce. And now it's like, wow, ironically, I am having a more full time by doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So where can people find you, Kat? Uh, people can find me. I post a lot on Instagram, love.freak. That's F-R-E-Q, like frequency, but I say it like freak because I'm a freak. Love.freak. Hmm. Um, tantrahealingarts.love. That's tantrahealingarts.love. That's my website. Um, yeah, reach out anytime. I'm super open to emails, comments, connecting with people. Now that ooh, dog barking. Now that I'm just being, I am available for people to contact me. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Amazon. <laughs> dog says we're done. <laughs> Thank you, Cat, for coming on the podcast. I love you so much. Let's not have another year go by before we connect. <laughs> And, um, yeah, just thank you for showing the fuck up and being the way that you be. Yeah. Thank you so much, Cam. And thanks for having me. This was amazing. Mm -hmm. My pleasure. I love you so much. Love you too. (laughs) Thank you again, everyone, for tuning into this episode of The Line to Mastery with Kat Fleming. I know I gained a lot of value out of this conversation, and I'm sure you did too. My biggest takeaways were being just continuing to come to that being, that presence, that authenticity, to following your bliss. And that's when life really shows the fuck up for you, when you choose to lean in and show the fuck up for life. So make love to life and life will make love to you. If this podcast resonated with you, share it with someone that you love, someone that you think will gain some value out of it. Go ahead and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, five stars and some love. It really helps the podcast. And until next week, enjoy yourself, enjoy your time. You are a beautiful aspect of the divine. Peace.